You know, <clears throat> we love the Bible, but there are probably parts of the Bible we love more than other parts. <laughs> Let's just be honest. And there are parts of the Bible we like to focus on, and rightly so, I think. And there are the parts of the Bible we maybe are more inclined to kind of do the holy Passover uh, and maybe not spend as much time on. Psalm 13 says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? It goes on from there, but about a third of the Psalms in the Hebrew songbook, which is our book of Psalms, about a third of them are kind of like that. They're saying, God, why don't you come more quickly and save me? Why are you letting all this stuff happen to me that's so bad? Now, look through our songbook, but almost none of those get turned into songs in our songbook. You know, we like the happy psalms. They're like four versions of the Lord's, you know, the uh, Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23. But this is raising a question. These are in there for a reason. And if we completely do the Holy Passover over the parts of the scripture that raise this question, we've done a disservice to our brothers and sisters. If my Christianity can only dwell in the sunshine part of faith, then I'm going to leave alone and lonely every Christian brother or sister who's being forced right now to go through the valley of the shadow of death. Because I don't want to go there. And, and the only parts of my Bible I like are the happy parts. So I've decided to do, it's not going to be a long series, but a short series on a book that I look back through my preaching and I realize I haven't talked about this book hardly ever. The book of Job. As you have your Bibles, you may want to open up the book of Job. We're just going to, today, just focus on that prologue, that long prologue that Ryan read almost the entirety of today. Thank you for that, Ryan. I appreciate it. Because the book of Job is in the Bible and maybe it's the premier place in all of human literature that deals with this question that bugs people in the Bible, but it bugs people all around the world. People have always asked, why do bad things happen to good people? Why is that? Especially if there's a God, especially if there is the all-powerful God of the Bible. A loving God, a kind God, an obviously generous God. Just look around our world. We know he wants good things for us. Why then do bad things happen, especially to good people? Maybe if they only happen to bad people, we'd get that. But 
Why do bad things happen to good people? That's what the book of Job is about. And it is long. Analyzing that and honestly putting forward various theories that people wondered about back in the ancient world and that people still wonder about today. Maybe it's like this. Maybe it's like this. Maybe it's like that. It's inviting you today to meditate on that question and to try to see what the wisdom of Scripture might be that you could come to as you do that meditation. So that's what we're going to do a little bit of in this sermon series, I hope. The story opens with the introduction of this character, Job. And he's mentioned by name one other time. I think Jeremiah uses him along with a couple of other characters as examples of righteous men of the past. We don't really know much about him. Uz is a very non-specific geographic location. He's from the land of Uz. Rabbis from the time of Jesus and later kind of decided that to identify this person, Job, with a, a minor character who's mentioned back in Genesis chapter 36, one of the descendants of Esau, one of the kings of Edom, a guy by the name of Jobab. And they said, that's who this is. And then they proceeded to have various other stories attached to his name. We don't, the Bible doesn't say much about him. But uh, the rabbis said quite a bit about him, as they were wont to do. But we don't know any of that. That's just rabbinic speculation from the time of Jesus and after. So we don't know much about this guy. He's not Jewish. He's from the land of us. He's a Gentile believer in God. He doesn't use the covenant name of God. The covenant name of God's not really featured in the book of Job. It's Elohim. It's God. It's just the God. Uh, that's, that's who these, all these sages are talking about. Um, and, and they're trying to struggle with this issue. Why do bad things sometimes happen to good people? So Job is introduced as a good person and, and a blessed person, inordinately blessed. He has wealth, he has a massive family, and he's very righteous. You know, his, his children love each other, they have each other over for feast days, and, then, and Job is concerned about their spiritual health. He'll go and offer sacrifices for secret sins. Maybe they sinned and they didn't even know they were sinning. I'm going to cover up for those sins with sacrifices. He's a good man. And we'll see later in the book, he, he talks about the kind of standard that he held himself to. It's, it's the Gentile Torah, some rabbis called it. These are the things that you do if you're just a righteous person in general. The law written in the heart. And, and, and he is, he's a righteous man. And God kind of brags about him when the sons of God come in, which the NIV translates as the angels, because that's the way it's often translated in other parts of Scripture. When the messengers of God, the angels of God, the sons of God, they come in to God's courtroom, Satan comes in too. And God says, what have you been up to? And Satan says, well, I've been striding around the earth looking things over. 
And God says, well, then did you look at my servant Job? You see how righteous he is? How good he is? So God thinks that Job is a righteous person. God says he's, he's pretty good. Nobody's, no human's really righteous, but God says he, he kind of stands out. Nobody else like him. The name Satan means the prosecutor or the accuser. The one whose job it is is to give an evil slant to anything good. <laughs> to take a set of facts and to pick out from those facts the worst possible interpretation. That's what Satan's job is. If you ever feel that in your own brain, where your life is suddenly, you feel yourself dissecting and coming up with the worst possible interpretation of your own character, or if you feel yourself doing that about someone else, you have a set of facts about someone and you start going to the worst possible interpretation of their behavior or their thoughts. That's kind of Satan's uh, brief. That's kind of his bailiwick. You need to be careful who your neighbor is when your mind is in that zone, whether you're thinking about yourself or whether you're thinking about someone else. Satan does that about Job. He says, you know what? Job's love for you, Job's devotion to you, Job's righteousness is a bought and paid for commodity, God. Bought and paid for. You made him so wealthy. You made him so powerful. You made peace all around him. You've built a hedge around him, so I can't do anything to him. I can't hurt him at all. And of course he loves you. Why wouldn't he? It's profitable. Take away all of his stuff. Take away all of the things you've given him. And you will see his devotion to you turn to ash right in front of your eyes, God. He will turn and he will curse you to your face. I can make it happen. Just take away the protections and let me at him. Here's the horrible part of the story. God says, okay. That's the mystery. We don't, I'm not going to come up with an explanation as to how that happens or why God does that. But God says, okay. And Satan, let off the leash, goes and destroys. He destroys Job's family. He destroys Job's possessions. He destroys Job's whole agricultural corporation, essentially, and all of the basis for Job's status, all the basis for Job's wealth. All the basis for Job's happiness seems to be eliminated. Job's response is that God has given, God has taken away. But Job will not curse God. Job refuses to curse God. What is going on in this story? Why does God take away 
the protections, the hedge that he's built around Job and allow Satan off the leash like this in Job's life, who God has said is a righteous man. Why do bad things happen to good people like Job? It's obvious that God takes pleasure in giving good things. That's obvious from the first words of the Bible where God says, let's let there be light and let's let there be sky and let's let there be dry light. God loves creating good things, beautiful things, wonderful things. And he likes giving them to us. So God likes to give us good things. So why do bad things happen, especially bad things to good people? Why does that happen? Deuteronomy 6.4 is what the rabbis considered to be the main commandment. When they asked Jesus, what's the What's the chief commandment? Jesus says, we all know. The number one commandment. Love God with all of your heart. With all of your strength. With all of your self or soul. With all of your mind. Love God. Everything you are needs to grow towards devotion to God first and foremost. That's what we're for. That's what human beings are built for. To love God. God seeks real love. Not the kind of pretended love that's for sale. If we lived in a world where every, every time you did something good, your bank account got topped up 50 bucks. And everything, every time you did something bad, you developed a sinus infection or something worse. Everyone would love God or pretend to, right? Because it would pay. That's not going to be the way God develops true love of God. And so in a sense, this little veiled peak into heaven and this discussion between Satan and God reveals something that kind of, if we thought about it, we already sort of knew had to be true somehow. If God is trying to teach you and me to love him, he can't just pay us every time. There have to be times when it's hard to love him. There have to be times when it goes against the grain to love him. There have to be times when I'm tempted to be angry at God and to blame him for what has happened. Those have to be part of the experience of love for God. Now that love is real and it's been a part of your life all your life, whether you've called it love of God or not. You've loved God your whole life in small bits and pieces, so have I. 
every time that you told the truth, even when it got you in a little bit of trouble. You did that because you love goodness. You love, that's loving God. Every time you appreciated beauty just for beauty's sake, not because you could cash in on it. You were loving God. Every time you felt guilty for something shady you did or something satanic you said about someone else, that's the love of God pricking your conscience. That love's in there. And our whole goal, what God is working on with you and me and with Job, is to grow the parts of your life that are more and more given over to that love, the love of the good, the love of God, and are less and less captivated, captivated by less worthy objects of love. But in order for that to happen, this can't just be a cash transaction with God. He can't just pay us. God seeks real love, not the kind of pretended love that's for sale. Chapter 2 of Job. There's another day. Job has gone through this horrible suffering of losing, losing all of his possessions, losing his family, his children. And he hasn't broken he hasn't cursed God. So again, a day came when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man one who fears God and shuns evil. Still, he holds fast to his integrity, though you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. So Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has, he will give up for his life. Stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your hands, but spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And Job took himself a potsherd with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. Again, God lets Satan off the leash. This time to make Job's life painful and miserable, breathing in and breathing out, is troublesome for him. He's lost everything. He's lost everything on which his status used to depend. And now he's lost even pleasure in being alive. Pretty soon he's going to say, I wish I had never been born. That's one of the first speeches he gives. I wish I had never been born. And at this point, his wife says something that maybe a lot of people who read this are thinking. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your faithfulness, your integrity? Curse God. 
and die. Curse God and die. If God is no good to protect our property and our status in society, if God is no good to protect our children, if God is no good to protect our health, then what good is God? Be done with God. Curse God. End this charade. Give up on God and die. I don't know how much his wife believed that. If you were in her position, you'd be speaking out of horrific grief. And I'm sure she was. But those words we get, the more I've seen God as only good for the things that he gives me, the more I'm going to be tried in my soul when some of those good things are taken from me. Why, God, do bad things happen to good people? In our culture, I can point you to countless articles and books where people who know that there's really profound evidence for the existence of God and really good reasons for believing in God say, I don't really need to look at any of that evidence because bad things happen to good people. And if there really were a God, that wouldn't be true. I've seen that argument made over and over and over and over again. There's no God. Give up on God because bad things happen to good people. If there were a God, why would bad things happen to good people? You know, if you know enough to frame that question, if there is a God, why do bad things happen to good people? You have a deeper question you should ask. And an honest person will ask. If there is a God, why do good things happen to bad people? Are you good? Jim Baird, are you good? I'm here in church. I'm standing in a pulpit. Maybe I'm good? What does the Bible say about Jim Baird's goodness? In light of who God is, every good thing Jim Baird has ever done is like garbage rags. Are you good? Not really. The only way you, can, you and I can make ourselves think we're good is by doing the thing the Bible tells us not to do, by finding somebody worse and comparing ourselves to them, right? 
If we look at God's righteousness, we know we're not very good. So the real fundamental puzzle is, why do good things ever happen to bad people? It's weird. Why don't I immediately get what I deserve in this world for my wickedness? Now, Job is going to struggle with this question. He's going to struggle with why do bad things happen to good people. But in his answer to his wife, his initial answer, he says something that kind of points to a profound truth. Why do good things happen to bad people? He says to her, verse 10, it's there on your study sheets if you're looking or in your Bible, verse 10 of chapter 2, you speak as one of the foolish women speak. Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. What Job is getting an inkling of right at that moment is this. Everything I have was given to me by God. Everything I have was given to me by God. I don't deserve any of it. But he gave it to me anyway. That's the miracle. That's the amazing thing. And now God has taken it away. And to the extent I can get my mind up to that truth, I realize I can't turn against God who gave me these things even for a little bit. That's where Job goes in this instant. We don't own anything we have. Let me repeat that because I only got one person to say that's right. We don't own anything we have. Thank you, that's better. It's all a gift from God. God gives and gives and gives. We've said this so many times from this pulpit. God gave you the breath in your lungs and the muscle strength that got you out of bed this morning. He gave you the food you ate. He gave you the drink you drank. He gave you the car you rode in on. He gave you the clothes on your back. One of, one of the advantages Job has in this whole thing is that Job has developed the character of thanking God for these things that he has received, of being grateful. If I never, ever, ever thank God 
for the ordinary things that he provides me day after day after day after day, though I do not deserve them, then I lose sight of the fact that they are gifts from God. It's just not, I might know it intellectually, but it's just not really in my heart very strongly. And then I become more and more vulnerable to the Job wife sentiment. What good is God now that he stopped giving you good things? Curse God and die. Well, the story doesn't end here. We've got a whole book of discussion of this question. But Job gives us a hint to think about the fact that we live under God's care in God's creation. We are small and our ability to comprehend God is small. Even the wisest, wisest humans are foolish compared to the most foolish uh, foolishness of God. That's what the book of Job is going to tell us. And so we are always going to be in a position of viewing this problem of suffering as somewhat of a mystery for us. That's true. But here's the thing Job says. The one thing I will never give up on is God. <laughs> Whatever happens, I will not give up on God. I just won't. And if studying Job's book helps any of us get a little more resilience in the face of adversity, then, it, then the Holy Spirit has done what it needs to do. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for all the good things that you pour into our lives all the time. God, open our hearts and open our minds to realize none of this is really ours, that you're giving it to us for a season, for a time. It's yours all along for us to use. And God, help us more and more to grow stronger and stronger, to use it for your good, for your kingdom, for your will, and to show our love for you and love for those that you've given us to take care of. God, help us to grow in these ways. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. If you need to respond to God's invitation, he loves you, he wants you to be safe, he wants you to be saved in the day of judgment. If you need prayers or help or today, to receive baptism, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.